This podcast is sponsored by LiveProducersOnline.com, a community of Ableton Live users connecting you to the pros to learn today's music production. What's up, guys? This is your host, Dan Giffen. We have an amazing guest today. Uh, But before we get started, I wanted to give you an update with the website of LiveProducersOnline.com. We launched Project Feedback. So if you are a pro member, you can submit your projects once a month to the Project Feedback tab. And either myself or another experienced producer, as well as Ableton certified trainers, will give you video feedback on the projects you submit. So whether you need help mixing with the composition, you can upload your project file to the website once a month and get video feedback from myself or another producer. So that's for pro members. Check that out. Uh, Join the website. We've got a free or a basic membership. Um, Basic gives you access to all video replays of webinars that we have. Uh, Pro members also can join live and watch replays as well as lots of other good stuff. Check it out, liveproducersonline.com. Click the big fat join button. And now for today's podcast. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Ableton Live Music Producer Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Giffen. Today we have another special guest. Her name is Sarah Sims. Uh, Sarah is an innovative musician. She's a DJ, a turntablist, an electronic music producer of all sorts. Uh, She also did a recent webinar with Live Producers Online. Um, She's the communications manager for Mixed in Key, and she showed us a lot of really cool stuff about creating melodic chord progressions using their plugin called Captain Plugins. Um, She also founded her own label called Symmetry Sounds, and Sarah has worked on projects with music brands, including Arturia, Casio, Fender, Genelec, Pioneer DJ, Moog, Native Instruments, and Roland. Uh, Sarah has also become known for her very unique approach with improvised DJing. Um, She was also a runner-up in the Scratch Ultimate DJ contest. She has played sets for Alan and Heath at the Amsterdam dance event. She's also played really cool festivals like Ultra Music Festival and other large events. So without further ado, thanks, Sarah, for coming and hanging out with us today. I'm stoked to uh, have you on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, for sure. We got to know each other briefly through the um, webinar that we did with you, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. And you are obviously are very experienced producing. You use Ableton Live for your productions. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of a different type of episode today. We're going to listen to one of your tracks in a little bit, which I was like a big fan of. And I heard it. You recently released it with the artist named Desire. And uh, yeah, it was a cool track. Before we listen to that, I kind of want to get to know you a little bit better for our listeners. So just tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, how did you get started with music and how did that lead you to where you're at today? So I started off playing guitar when I was a teenager. I studied jazz guitar at first uh, with private teachers and then later on at Humber College in Toronto. Around the same time, I was introduced to the art of turntablism and the rave scene, and DJing started to look like it was going to be a lot cooler than playing my guitar. <laughs> so I started spending more time on the decks, and I was record shopping all the time, every week. And I eventually dropped out of Humber College to pursue DJing full-time. Oh, wow. Later how'd on, your, I went... How did your parents feel about that? You know, I'm really lucky because my parents have always been supportive of whatever decision I wanted to make. That's great. But later on, I went to a place called Harris Institute for the Arts, and I studied audio engineering. So I actually do have a degree and totally recommend the school. I put myself (laughs) through audio engineering college uh, by DJing on the weekends and 
years later, I'm still DJing and loving it just as much. Nice. I guess I started producing about a decade ago. My first track that I released was called Down the Road, and it was a techno track that featured reggae artists on it. And since then, I've done a lot of collaborations with vocalists. My latest track is called Fading, and it features a Toronto R&B singer-songwriter named Desire. Yeah, and you're based in Toronto right now, too, as well. Right? That's right. Yeah, based in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, Toronto's a cool place. It's it's very diverse. It reminds me of uh, kind of a little bit of that New York City vibe, but a little more spread out. And it has like that diversity and kind of that creative arts type of vibe. I don't know. It's a cool city. I love I love hanging there. Toronto's a great city. You just have yeah. to be tough to get through the winter. Yeah, that is true. Um, right now, uh, you mentioned you released, recently released that track called Fading with a Toronto R&B producer, Desire. Right now, uh, I kind of want to do something different than what we've normally done on the podcast. I want to actually listen to a segment of that track and then talk a little bit about your creative process behind it, how you made it, and then dive into some of the fun details of the production behind what you did in different elements of the song. So cool. We're going to we're going to listen to that now and then let's talk about it in a second. For sure. Yeah. 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 Once upon a time you love me. Now all our pages have turned. Once upon a time I loved you Now all our bridges are burned Now I feel a bitter coldness Slipping into our affair Weighted passion goes unnoticed Should we pretend we still care? Feels like our love could be fading Fading, fading, yeah My heart just can't take the waiting Waiting, waiting, yeah Feels like our love could be fading Fading, fading, yeah My heart just can't take the waiting Waiting, waiting, Feels like cool track i love it. it has a fun bouncy vibe um the production even from like the vocal mixing to just the beat and the rhythm the different melodic elements are very very cool um so tell us a little bit about the production process how did you get started with that track sure well i actually got started producing fading when my friend Yakov, who is the ceo at mixed in key texted me and told me i should start using odyssey to compose tracks with Really? So I, yep, I opened it up in my DAW nice. and I used Odyssey to write the basic chord progression. 
I knew that I wanted to do a collab together with Desire, and I also knew we were going to kind of have to meet halfway on the collaboration because we come from very different backgrounds. He comes from like an R&B kind of soul background, and I come from a hip hop and techno background. So we both have, you know, we bring very different energy to, you know, to music. So I was talking with another producer friend and he recommended that we do something that would be like disclosure influenced. So I thought that would be a good kind of vision to work with in mind for this track. Yeah, I can totally hear disclosure. In fact, that was something I was going to say to you earlier when I listened to it. I was like, it really has that kind of disclosure, bouncy kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah, kind of jazzy vibe to it. Yeah. So that's that's really what I was going for uh, when I was doing the production. So after writing most of the melodic lines and then doing the basic arrangements, I got together with another Toronto-based producer named Craig McConnell, and he wrote some more melodic lines. Uh, He recorded some cool Rhodes lines and parts for the tracks. And then I sent everything over to Desire, who wrote the lyrics. And then after we did some scratch recording of the vocals, Craig and I got back together and Craig arranged the track and mixed the track. And somewhere in there, we did the, the final vocal edits as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's cool that you were saying that you have a very different background than what he had when you guys came together on the track and produced it. It adds that original element, I think, when you stretch yourself and work with somebody else who has a different influence or a different background. Um, And I feel like the track has that originality probably because of some of that. For sure. Uh, One thing I forgot to mention, too, that's always really important in production is the final stage, which is mastering. Mm -hmm. And I think the track sounds really good because it was mastered by a great engineer. His name was Phil Dimitro at Lacquer Channel Mastering. So he kind of put that the final kind of like professional sheen on the track, you know, Mm -hmm. to make it. Yeah. uh, To make it sound great. Right. Right. Yeah. I always describe the mastering as like waxing the car after it's been through the car wash. It's like that final little polish that makes it look pretty. For sure. Yeah, that's cool. So you said you use use Odyssey. So I know you also use Ableton Live. Um, yeah. As far as like the rhythm and the percussive elements, like how, how did you go about like producing that from scratch? Can you go a little more into detail? For sure. Well, I actually produced this track in Logic. It wasn't in Ableton. I use Logic oh, okay. as well. Gotcha. I may have used battery to program in all the drums. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, battery's it was a nice. While, yeah, it was native a instruments. While ago, yeah, when I actually did the programming. So I just I chose a lot of samples that, you know, fit the vision and and started to put together the track that way. Cool. Yeah. Did you like what other instruments did you play live? Was it mostly programming or did you play um like keys on a lot of the parts? There's a lot of soft synths in there. Mm-hmm. I don't play keys. I wish I could. Yeah. There's like a, a funk guitar that I played though. Oh, nice. So I still use my, you know, my guitar shops in my productions. So I played the guitar live. There's some great like Rhodes keys on there that Craig played. So that's another part that's uh, that's live. And then the rest is is just like a lot of soft synths. Mm-hmm. So when you're collaborating with other artists, uh, do you oftentimes try to get in the studio as much as you can to be in the same room? Or was there a lot of sending project files back and forth throughout the process? Nope. No send. Well, when I was collaborating with Craig on the track, we got together every single time for the session. So we were working together, bouncing ideas off each other. You know, like you really need that kind of like that one-to-one connection, right? Sure. 
and yeah. you can just easily come up with an idea, right? Like sometimes if you get together with someone, it's easier to decide the direction and you'll just spontaneously know what to do, right? And and whatever sure. idea you come up with, it, if it's, it's a strong idea, you're just going to kind of run with that. Having that energy in the room, like you said, just bouncing those ideas off each other, coming up with things off of the moment. I sent we I sent the beat to Desire for him to write on. Okay. So, and I remember when he came back to me, he did like a scratch recording of all the lyrics. I didn't like the chorus at all. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because I think now the chorus is one of the best parts. Um, I, I agree. But, you know, it was just such a new idea. And I had to sit with it for a couple days. And I think I said to him, you know, like, can you try a different chorus? And he's super nice. You know, he didn't say like, no, Sarah, you know, he tried to write a different chorus and he sent it to me. And then I was like, you know what? The first idea is so much better. Like I just should have went with that. <laughs> yeah. So we ended up going back to the first chorus he wrote and, you know, and the rest is history. I think trusting the people you work with is really important too, right? And being able to work with somebody when they have an idea, you can just say, okay, well, I think you're good enough. Like I, I trust your opinion on something. And I want to learn a little bit more about your process from the studio to actually DJing. Um, I know you do a lot of DJing as well. And uh, I kind of want to learn a little bit more about your setup. So after you have this song done, we can use Fading as an example or another track that you've produced. What is your process from taking that to DJing? I know that you um, do some like multi-track DJing. How do you treat these stems? Do you just bounce one stereo file to DJ or do you like um, bounce individual elements that you want to kind of mix on the fly? Can you describe a little bit of that process? For sure. Well. For one, my process in the studio is totally different than my DJing set of my process DJing because I actually haven't tried to marry the two together yet. Maybe one day. Okay. So for right now, you know, my studio setup is pretty minimal. I just got a new computer, a Universal Audio Twin Duo and an Ableton yes. Push. So I'm working nice. with those pieces of equipment for the next little while and just trying to get my system up and running with all my plugins yes i love uad honestly like i could i could talk about plugins by uad all day long it's my favorite they're great and it offloads the dsp so your computer doesn't cry when you're throwing a bunch of plugins on things yeah no for sure i'm yeah. i'm really looking into delving in more to the uad uh to the ua family this year yeah yeah, I got to meet a couple of the guys from the UAD family at an AES convention a few years ago, and they're brilliant. Like, it's a whole another brainwave of engineers that I haven't yeah. met before. They're great. Yeah, very high quality plugins. So in the studio, I do use some hardware as well. I use uh, the Roland TB3 and TBO3. Nice. And other than that, just Ableton and Logic and Paragenelec monitors. Okay. So as far as my DJing setup goes, I don't always DJ a ton of my own music. I like to play a lot of music from other people. I, sure. You know, uh, just yeah. to, to give more variety. I do play some of my tracks sometimes, but there's a lot of other good material there. And sometimes, you know, I would just rather play other people's songs. Yeah. When, I, when I'm playing. Yeah, I think a lot of DJs do, and not just from the standpoint of mixing it up and having different vibes to be able to go off of with the crowd that meets whatever venue you're playing. But I think, uh, you know, it's it's also kind of hard to write several hours 
of music that's like diverse, you know, as, as an artist, like that is going to be of like the top highest quality and being able to like have that much content to constantly mix it up and have it new at every show you play. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. So my DJing setup right now is an Allen and Heath mixer. I love the Allen and Heath, the zone 96, and then also uh, the zone PX five is great too. I use Tractor in all my performances, so that's really kind of like the heart and soul of of my DJing. And then I use uh, two zone K twos with custom mappings for Tractor. Okay. So when I'm mixing, it's usually there's usually three or four tracks going at the same time, and I'll key all my tracks before using mixed in key. So I don't typically tend to work with a lot of stems. I tend to work with tracks, and I'll just like loop a part of the track. And because all my records are keyed and I spend a lot of time going through and kind of listening to my music, like when I'm going for a walk or at the gym or whatever. So I I try to get to know my tracks as much as possible so that I'm easily to uh, I'm able to easily improvise with those tracks on the fly. Mm -hmm. I love to use effects when I DJ. All of Tractor's effects sound great. And I also have a custom effects rack by Nice Rack Canada that I'm looking forward to incorporating into my shows it has like a bunch okay. of of rolling digital pedals on it so yeah. it's really kind of something new and exciting and different i'm not really familiar with that what is that exactly so it's um it's an effects pedal rack like the same okay. type that a guitar player would use gotcha except uh my effects pedal rack has been modded by nice rack canada to use with a dj mixer because there's cool. different impedance values for a guitar amp versus uh, versus a DJ mixer. That's so it's cool. using yeah. some of the same gear that guitarists use, like effects pedals. Yeah. But except it's a little bit different so that a DJ can use it. That's awesome. So, so that's you'll, gonna, so you'll no just problem. route the yeah, I was just gonna say, so you just route the audio out of the mixer, run it through that pedal and then back in. Yeah, the send and return channels. Okay. Very and it's nice. a whole it's a whole board. That's cool. So that's going to be a project that I'm definitely working on this year. Sweet. And I'm a turntablist, so I like to scratch during some of my sets. Not all of them, but, you know, as many as I can. And I still love my Vestex turntable. It's it's a, an older brand that's unfortunately not in business anymore, but it has... Uh, it just has a special feel that makes it great for turntablists to use and work with. So I still like to do some scratching over my techno. That's awesome. And, yeah, you don't DJ, hear, I feel like you don't hear a lot of scratching with techno music. Like for me anyway, I don't hear a ton of that. And that's that's really cool. I feel like that adds an originality to your set. Yeah, you don't hear a lot of it really very much. There's actually kind of few turntablists who scratch over electronic music. Yeah. Uh, Bad Boy Bill is definitely, you know, a legendary artist to check for. Yeah. Detroit Techno Militia does some scratching over their music. And then uh, in Trent Moeller's music as well, he uses a a DJ in his band. So they do some scratching with music. So, you know, it's not something that's as in style, I would say anymore, but you know, it always takes a DJ to bring that back. Yeah, so, no, that that's cool. It's that element of surprise that you throw into your set that people don't see often that I feel like allows you to stand apart from the rest of the DJs. Because it seems like so many people, like everybody's a DJ these days. It seems like anybody can DJ. You can just plug in your iPhone and be a DJ. You know, it seems like it's so available 
like for people to be button pushers. And I, I love what you do because I think you are really creative and getting outside the box of just your average DJ who just hits play and transitions from one track to another. Like you were saying, adding outboard gear and like using your sends and effects and just kind of getting creative with your scratching adds a really cool live element to your shows rather than just being a button masher or just somebody who hits play and transitions. It's, it's, I think people feel that energy and they, they really engage with uh, somebody performing live. Um, so I think that's really cool. You're doing that. Um, let me, let me ask you this. So uh, you obviously have a lot of experience DJing and in all different types of venues and clubs, you've played a lot of festivals, as I mentioned earlier. If you were to give advice to somebody who I guess was wanting to perform live and get some more gigs and shows DJing, uh, what would be a couple tips and things that you would give them? So number one is work on your skills on the decks. Make sure that you're able to play a solid set. You know, you have some great records in your collection. So make sure you have something, you know, to offer and to give your audience. You also, another important thing to do, especially when you're first starting off, is build your network of friends who come out to support you. Because one thing, especially in the beginning, that uh, promoters are going to want to know is that you're going to be able to have draw, right? To, to bring some people to the show. So you definitely need friends and friends of friends who are going to come to see you play. I would say, you know, try to hustle your, your mixtapes and pitch yourself to promoters. Or another route you can go, you know, if you're really not getting a lot of people booking you, is you can put on your own shows. You know, I think one of the best things that a new DJ can do is to start their own residency, their own night somewhere, maybe with a buddy or something, and learn how to promote that themselves, bring their own network of people to the show, and try to build a, a community, you know, starting off in your hometown. And mm -hmm. just getting your career going that way, right? Like very DIY. Yeah. So it really teaches you a lot, not just about DJing, but also about, you know, how to put on a performance, how to promote a performance, how to get all your marketing materials together, how to play for an entire night. You know, it will give you some experience playing for the crowd and, mm -hmm. you know, learning to gauge what type of records you need to play at certain times. Yeah. So that's uh, definitely, you know, it, those are some steps that a DJ can take in their early, in their early, um, early days. Uh, yeah. Your network is everything too. Like you need to make friends with promoters, with people who are putting on events, you know, cause it's, it's going to be your core circle of people who, you know, who are going to be booking you for these gigs. Right. So right. kind of the wider your circle is, the more opportunities you're going to have. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense and kind of getting into those circles of people. Um, that was one thing Laura Escudé was briefly touching on the last podcast episode we had. She she mentioned about being a good hang and getting yourself into the circles of people, hanging out with the people that are doing it and just being able to become friends with those people. And next thing you know, you'll meet other people through those people and and then things will just start to open up and align. Uh, but that's really good advice, you know, hitting up the promoters. Um, I would imagine that the location, like the city that you actually live in, having a scene there already established is probably really helpful as well. Would you agree? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, if you're living out in the country, 
you know, it's <laughs> DJing it's be, the country bars. <laughs> you know, it's it might be a bit tougher to make it. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe the most important thing that new DJs can do, especially these days, too, is to make tracks, you know, to focus on your productions. Because depending on what type of DJ you want to be, if you want to be uh, the DJ who's an artist, right, and maybe look at getting some higher level gigs, you need to have tracks, productions, releases. Those are your calling cards, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, there's artists like, you know, the late Avicii who didn't start to DJ until he had a whole catalog, you know, of of music. And then when he sure. started performing, he was able to start performing at very high level gigs because he was an exceptional artist. Right. right? So you could also totally you know, bypass your local scene too, if you're that amazing of a talent, right? Yeah. So the path is different for everybody. No, that's all really good advice. Thank you for sharing that. I'm also glad that you mentioned Avicii because he was the first DJ, I feel like, um, that really kind of established himself more as an artist um, than just a DJ. He was one of the first that was almost crafted as as an artist rather than just somebody that was just DJing at clubs. And like you said, he had a big catalog of music that he walked in with to start DJing with, which kind of helped separate him from the rest. There's a really good, I don't know if you've seen it, but the documentary that just came out on Netflix about his life, about him. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's really good. I just watched it the other day. I encourage everybody to check it out. I haven't seen it yet, but I will definitely look out for it because I'm a big fan. Yeah, it's it's a crazy story. It's inspiring and sad at the same time. Everything he went through, a lot of people don't really know what his life was like, but it also gives a lot of good insight on the music industry as well um, yeah. and what that scene looks like. Um, um, just to kind of reiterate what you said, you know, having a great mixtape, putting yourself out there, uh, hitting up promoters, being able to uh, own your niche, basically, you know, and going out and finding the right places and the circles of places to play. Um, you know, these are all really good advice. Along those lines, what, what's one thing that you've learned to get your songs noticed online? You know, you talked about having a mixtape and creating and producing your own tracks and things like that. Getting your songs noticed online. The first thing is you need to have a good song. If you don't, <laughs> don't have a good suck. song, if you don't have a good yeah. song, no one's going to notice you, right? Yeah. So the first thing is to really focus on your craft and make sure that you have a good track that is worth hearing, right? It has to mm-hmm. be worth people's time. So that's the number one thing. If you have a good song, you can make a cool video for it and you know, some good photographs to go along with your track mm-hmm. i think it helps if you know you can get a blog or magazine to feature you so definitely sending out your tracks or having you know someone who does pr send out your tracks to feature you online in a you know with some sort of premiere or some sort of online website i think that's really helpful yeah it's super helpful if a larger artist or dj plays your track and says that they like your track somewhere online like numerous djs have had whole their careers start by something like this right Mm. yeah you know so if you can get someone to put you on that's one of the best things for someone's career because when you start out you know when everyone starts out no one's going to know who you are right until you're a little bit further down the line so if you can get to know someone who's a little higher up than you and 
they start talking about you, that's one of the best ways that you can get noticed. Yeah. Absolutely. Another way to get noticed is through marketing, right? Like how do we find out about everything in our society, right? Marketing, mm -hmm. advertising. I think if you invest in your marketing, that's another great way that people are going to see you. Yeah. Just buy right. a bunch and, of billboards and, in LA. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so. Nobody starts there unless right. you have an investor. Yeah, I'm just kidding. No, I'm glad you mentioned the blogs, though. It, um, I've been reading a lot about marketing in the music industry recently, and it seems like blogging is still a huge niche for artists getting exposure. And I've seen yeah. several blog posts about you. Um, one I read specifically with your release with Fading, I've seen quite a few other ones from previous releases you've had. Do you just go and search out and Google different music blogs and then try to hit them up directly? Do you have any kind of strategy behind some of these promotional things you mentioned? For sure. Well, I think you have to find, you know, if you're looking for blogs or magazines online, you have to find ones that suit your sound, right? So if you are a techno artist, a hip hop blog is probably not going to want to write about you. So it doesn't make sense to send off your material to people to, you know, to places that aren't going to feature you. So you have to make sure that you take your time to research who you're sending all your materials to. I mean, another great thing you can do with all the streaming sites that we have is to submit your track to, you know, to third party playlists and to people who are making different playlists online. Right. Because then you can have all these these playlists like featuring your tracks. Right. So that's mm -hmm. another great thing you can do. But that also takes time to research too. Like what type of playlists, you know, on Spotify would I would my songs be a good fit for? Who's making these playlists? Sure. So there's like a lot of back end work that, you know, I think a DJ and uh, and their team needs to do. You know, it's great if you have someone, you know, who can help kind of support you and maybe a friend or something who can help you find all these places yeah. and when you get a little further on you know you can hire someone who does pr to do all these professionally but when you start off it's you know it's going to be you on your own kind of going to all these sites right and yeah. you have to remember they're getting sent a ton of material every day so if you don't hear back from them you know the first time after you email them it doesn't mean it's a no it means you might need to follow up a week later yeah yeah, or I mean, you could be going to their spam folder, or they probably just get a huge volume of people, and maybe yeah. even contacting them in different ways, sending them an email and maybe a Facebook message or something like that could yeah. be helpful. For sure. I think like having a social media presence and an online buzz of your own helps a lot too, because if someone from a blogger magazine gets an email from you and then they look at you online, and then they see, hey, this video that, you know, this this guy posted up has a lot of views already. You know, this looks like something that's hot. I want to feature it, too. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think kind of the more you can generate your own hype as well, you know, through your friends, through your fans, through your family, because that's, you know, where things always stem from is right. Like your sure your core network of people and then other people are going to hear about you through them. Right. Right. And social media is such a powerful thing. I feel like a lot of people don't even really tap into as far as like, like engage your audience. It's more than just sending out a post every once in a while. It sounds like from everything you said, it's a ton of work to actually be able to 
be a DJ or be a producer full time. There's a lot of work that is involved in contacting people and creating new content, being engaged online in a lot of different ways. Um, but I mean, the payoff is worth it. And you've been doing this for a while. And it's exciting to see all the tracks you've been releasing. And I'm a big fan. I love what you do. And um, I, I know you're working with Mixed in Key. And I love the plugins you guys are creating. And uh, yeah, I think this is some really good advice for our listeners to to kind of chew on and and be able to take home for themselves. Well, thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast today. You know, I'm really excited, you know, for the chance to kind of share some of my knowledge with the live producers online community and and to share my music with them as well. Yeah, no, I appreciate your support. Thanks again, Sarah, for joining us. Everybody, uh, I encourage you to go check out Sarah's stuff. Sarah, where can people find more about you? You can definitely hear all my new tracks on Spotify, on SoundCloud, on my YouTube channel. And you can find me online on my Instagram. I'm at Sarah Sims. Facebook, I'm uh, slash DJ Sarah Sims. And Twitter, same thing. Same handle, Sarah Sims. Two M's on Sims. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah. And we'll include links to all your social media and your website and a link specifically to this track on Spotify for everybody to find that in the show notes. So wherever you're streaming this podcast episode, just look in the show notes and you should be able to see links to the things that Sarah just described. Thanks again, Sarah, for coming to hang out with us. I appreciate you. And uh, maybe we'll have you back another day for some more good stuff. Sounds great. Well, thanks so much for having me on the show, Dan. Yeah. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure. Well, thanks. Now, thank you. Have a great day. And uh, yeah, happy 2019. Looking forward to seeing more of what you do in the future. Happy 2019. Yeah. Ciao, ciao. See ya. Take it easy. This podcast is sponsored by LiveProducersOnline.com, a community of Ableton Live users connecting you to the pros to learn today's music production.